You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. John chapter 15, verse 1 to 11. I am the true vine, and the Father is the wine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, and it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch, and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Turn our attention to reflecting on this passage. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you as uh, we've already prayed much this morning with heavy hearts, with much on our minds, and we are very distracted people. Our phones would like us to believe that there are more important things for us to turn our attention to. Our minds have all kinds of anxieties and worries that are calling for our focus and attention, but we trust that in your word is life, and as we come to your word now, we pray by your spirit you would speak clearly to each one of us, that we would hear your voice, and in hearing your voice, we would be a people transformed and made new because of your love. This we ask, Father, in the name of Christ, our hope. Amen. Uh, Well, I'm guessing, like you, spent much of my week uh, taking in what it means for two nations to sort of be at war in a time with ubiquitous social media, watching a stream of movies that came in. And there was one uh, video that I saw on Twitter, which came uh, relatively early in Russia's invasion of Ukraine, where I saw an elderly man confronting Russian soldiers. Again, you know, it's hard to know if these things are real or fake, I'm realizing after the fact, but at least at the time, this this video overwhelmed me. It was an older older Ukrainian man confronting these Russian soldiers. And he was saying over and over again, America will come. America will come. America will come. You will regret this. This older Ukrainian man hoped that the bonds of sort of a democratic society, the the bonds of an open market and the brotherhood of, of man, woman, children, would be strong enough so that if Russia indeed invaded, and when they indeed invaded, when boots were on the ground, that bond would be strong enough that the Western world would come to the defense of Ukraine. 
I saw that video on the first day that Russia began advancing, and as the days wore on, I realized that the West wasn't going to come. And I couldn't help but feel compassion for this man, hearing his voice kind of haunting me over and over again. He misunderstood, or he was naive about the bond between his nation and the Western nations. He had too high of assumptions about how strong this bond was, and it wasn't actually there. The bonds of democracy, the bonds of free elections, were not strong enough to result in the Western world sending and putting boots on the ground, at least at this time. It, the bonds did not produce the vital, sort of life-giving connection that would result in the Western world saying it's worth us losing some of our boys' lives to come and protect your country. This man's prayers kind of stuck in my head all week. I found myself praying for people like him who were naively optimistic and now unbelievably discouraged and full of misery and despair. We're looking at these I am statements of Jesus. We're at the seventh I am statement of Jesus, and he uses a very, very vivid metaphor, the metaphor of a vine and of branches, and he reveals himself as the true vine. He says his father is the vine dresser. And in doing so, he's saying this, that there is a bond that exists between Jesus and potentially anyone who will call upon his name, trust him by faith. There is a bond so vivid, so strong, that with it comes eternal promises, with it comes hope of salvation, a bond so tight. And yet this passage also warns us that it's possible to think that you have this bond and be deceiving yourself with grave consequences. But this passage is going to teach us that if you have this bond, if you have this saving connection between yourself and Jesus, the true vine, this passage is going to tell us that not only is salvation possible, but also your transformation is not only possible, but it is actually inevitable. So what I want to look at this morning is this bond, the bond between the true vine in the branches. And I want to first look at the foundation of this bond, then I want to look at the fuel for this bond, and then finally the fruit of this bond. So the foundation, the fuel, and the fruit. Let's first talk about the foundation of this bond. What is the sort of core, the essence of this bond? You know, as we're learning in Ukraine, the bond that wasn't strong enough was that Ukraine is not in NATO. There wasn't a a contractual obligation, a formal bond. It was an informal bond of brotherhood, an informal bond of democracy, open elections. Uh, But this bond wasn't strong enough. The nature of a bond that was strong enough to bring about some sort of rescue from the West would have been a contractual bond. But what what is the nature of this bond, the foundation of the bond that Jesus has with his followers? He says in verse 1, I am the true vine. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whatever this bond is, it's some kind of organic connection. Now, the metaphor of of vine and branches is not unusual. You saw in the call to worship in Psalm 80, God's people had heard time and time again that they, as a nation, were themselves like a vine that had been brought out of Egypt and planted into promising soil. They were God's vine. You also learn a lot about this in Isaiah 5. There's a lengthy poem. It starts this way. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, he cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. This poem goes on and on, but the whole point of the poem is that God's people saw themselves as a nation, as a vine, 
that God had planted, God's prize vine that was to bear fruit. This was their relationship to him. This is why we decorated the building with these vines all around. Um, it was a joke. No one decorated it. I don't know if anyone's listening. Um, the historian Josephus, maybe to try to keep your attention, tells us that the temple, at the time that Jesus is saying this, the temple that, that Herod had built, uh, the, the wealthy in Israel became really obsessed, actually, with the, the, this golden vine that draped over the Holy of Holies. This was their pride and joy. And actually, some of the, bunches of, the bundles of grapes would be the size of a human being. They'd be as tall as a human being. They were so filled with gold. The historian Josephus actually tells us that when Rome sacks that temple, the gold markets actually plummet 50%, for those of you who are big fans of gold. Uh, there's so much gold in the temple. It becomes so ornate and extravagant, these vines especially, over the Holy of Holies, that the, the gold markets crash after all of this gold floods into the market. Listen, um, in some senses, Israel saw themselves as the vine the way Canadians see themselves as the maple leaf, you know? When you're watching the Winter Olympics, you see that maple leaf everywhere. You know, this is the Canadian people. The vine was something of a symbolic picture of who God's people were. And now Jesus is coming along and he's saying this. He's saying, whatever you think of yourself, hear clearly. I am the true vine. To be connected with what it means to be uh, God's people. What it means to uh, live out the life that, that is in harmony with heaven, following the, the designation of heaven. You have to be woven in and connected to me. I am the true bond, or true vine. Sorry. The nature of this bond is an attachment so deep that it's hard to often tell where the branch ends and the vine begins. There is something of an interpenetration that belongs to this union. This is the nature of this particular bond, the foundation of this bond. This is more than Jesus saying, I am a teacher, you are the students. You know, It's more than him saying, I'm an employer, you're the employee. It's even more intimate than him saying, I am a king, you are the subjects. This passage, this metaphor isn't referring just to some sort of influence that he has over his followers. He's talking about something so incredibly intimate, an interpenetration between the branch and the vine. Listen, I'm borrowing this I'm, I'm borrowing this idea from others smarter than me. I'm not trying to be crash, but really the only picture we have to describe this sort of interpenetration and giving of life is, is the sexual union. And this, in some senses, is the type of intimacy that a branch would have with a vine. This sort of interpenetration uh, woven together. The bond isn't simply a treaty or a contractual relationship. God's very nature somehow connects with and hooks up and hooks into and interpenetrates what it means to be a human. He's the vine. We are the branches. It shouldn't surprise us that the Bible then will have much to say about the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in us. Our Peter, who will say we participate in a mysterious way in the divine nature. This is the nature, uh, this is the, the, the foundation of this bond. It's an organic bond that involves an interpenetration, and it has to be sovereignly administered. It's not like the branches are looking around saying, what kind of vine do I want to hook up with? Not to, you know, be funny about it, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm a vine, a free agent, looking for, looking for, I'm sorry, I'm a branch looking for a vine. It doesn't work like that. The vine has to grow, the branch has to grow out of the vine, or the branch has to be woven into the vine. It has to be sovereignly administered and connected. Now, let me just say before we move on, whatever your thoughts are about Christianity, it certainly, certainly is and involves wrestling through intellectual claims. 
But when Jesus comes to you and, and you want to know who is Jesus, he's saying, I am a true vine, you are the branches. He's saying that there's something beyond just intellectual gymnastics that is involved with figuring out what it means to know Jesus. There's something experiential and there's some, some deep and mysterious union between the realm of God and our realm that is part of following after Jesus. You'll never truly understand who he is till you understand what he intends to do. So this is the foundation of this bond. It's a sovereignly administered interpenetration that brings growth and life from the vine to the branches. This is the foundation, but now let's ask, what's the fuel? What strengthens this bond? And in fact, it's actually quite scary as you read this passage. I can remember as a young child actually hearing this passage, wondering, oh no, what if I'm one of those, those branches that is not bearing fruit? What if I'm one of the ones that is cut out? What's the fuel that severs this bond, that tightens this bond, that makes it stronger. And there's one word. The fun part about having the scriptures in your bulletin is you can circle it if you have a pen, but there's a word abide. It appears over and over and over again, I think 10 times in the passage that I left before you that you just heard read. Now, what does the word abide mean? My guess is none of you have used it. I actually put it into the little... Um, the gift thing, and all it showed was um, the Big Lebowski, the dude abides. I've never watched this movie, so I'm not recommending it. Um, the word abide is absurd. I don't, I don't know that it's used very often, but this passage uh, tells us what Jesus intends by it when he uses this word, okay? So rather than going to Webster's Dictionary, we can just look at this passage and ask, what does Jesus mean when he says that we are to abide? And there's at least three hints that Jesus gives us as to what it means to abide. In verse 7, he says, abiding is connecting with his word, that his words are to abide in us. So whatever it means to abide, it has to involve knowing Jesus' words, them, they residing in us. Verse 9 tells us that abiding includes abiding in Jesus' love. So we have his words, we have his love, and then verse 10, abided, abiding is keeping the commandments that Jesus has given. So what does abiding mean? Well, Jesus' words, my understanding of what Jesus is saying here is he's saying something as the, that abiding looks like being settled in, being secured by, being comforted, almost like finding your home in. Jesus' loving words and commands to you. This is, all, this is what it means to abide. Then this is the fuel that strengthens this relationship, that strengthens this bond, that grows confident in this connection. Jesus is saying our duty is not to study his word, just purely to gather theological facts, or as historians, to understand what people before us thought, or not even just to study his word for our daily inspiration, some kind of courage we can take from God's word. There's something much deeper. We're to study and wrestle through his word until we settle into deeply the love that he has for us. And after we understand that love, it's out of that love we will be agents of that love, doing what he commands. Knowing his love through his word obeying his words because we know they're words of love. This is what Jesus is calling us to, recipients of love becoming agents of love. This is what it means to abide, to find your security and safety in the words and commands Jesus has left for us, to know that you're loved through these words and to obey and live out this love. Maybe I could illustrate what it means to abide this way. It was actually last Sunday. Uh, we went over to someone's house, and I mistakenly parked... Uh, in front of someone's driveway. It was one of these driveways that's hard to tell when the snow is built up, and uh, the tail of my car was overlapping with an individual's driveway. And this individual must have been mad at me because uh, with two sheets, he wrote a 
nice letter to me letting me know I shouldn't have parked there, I was blocking his driveway, and that if I stay past 9 p.m., he was going to have it towed. Two pieces of paper. But what made it worse is he felt the need to take Elmer's white glue. I don't even know if they use this stuff anymore. You know, uh, this Elmer's white glue, he pasted it all in the back of the letter and put it on my van. Now, um, being the pastor that I am, you know, here, here in my sanctification for you, uh, I found this letter, and my kids were with us, and of course I was a little bit upset, but I realized, you know, this is bad. However, I could have had my car towed. And he didn't have the car towed. So for that, at least that's good. And, you know, at the end of the day, I was in the wrong. So I thought probably the best thing for me to do at the time as I'm driving back to my house, a whole one-minute drive, is I announced to the children, I was in the wrong. So what we're going to do is I'm going to write him a letter acknowledging that I was in the wrong. And I'm going to thank him for not having me towed. And then I'm going to also show him that I learned the value of that white Elmer's glue by taping this apology letter or pasting this apology letter to his door. I told my kids I was going to do this. One of my children, who will remain nameless, was like, I know where the glue is, Dad. You know, um, I mean, this is funny. But for the next day, I was thinking of ways that I could retaliate. I thought about parking my car the exact same way the next night, but staying in my car. And when he comes out to pace that thing, honking my horn and causing him almost a heart attack, right? I thought about physical altercations. This is absurd. Now, what does it mean to, ha- to abide in the word of the Lord? What does it mean to let God's word dwell in you richly? Well, at the very least, it means that Jesus would have me not to retaliate. But this would be a short-sighted understanding of how to abide in God's word, because it's more than just don't retaliate. We're told to abide in Jesus's love, so what does that mean? We don't just turn to Jesus's words as laws to beat us down so we can hang our head down. That's what most people think Christianity is all about. We first abide in Jesus's love, and we realize this, Do you know how often I provoked our Savior? You know how much I've mocked him? There's times where I've told people, I prayed for you last week, and I didn't. It's an outright lie. I provoked him time and time and time again. And he's never retaliated. And he was never in the wrong. And in this case, I can at least have the honesty to admit I was indeed in the wrong. So why in the world do I feel obligated to retaliate? Our Lord told us to turn and to give the other cheek. That's assuming you're not in the wrong. In this particular case, I was in the wrong. You see, to let the words of Christ dwell in you richly are to let these words change how you think, to, to, to wash over you and transform how you see reality all around you. Not just some sort of penal code that's, that shows you to be guilty, although it is certainly that as well but also to be transformed, to say, in Jesus Christ, I am now a different person because of what he has done for us. Why would I ever retaliate? Why would I ever go to that great lengths? And why can't I control my temper for days as I think about retaliating? What's wrong with me? This is how the words of Christ dwell in me. Somehow my Savior loves me nonetheless. Tremendous hypocrite is met with love. I provoke him to anger. He returns with kindness and grace to me. Who is like our Lord? This is how you let the word wash over you. And you know what starts to happen when you do that? You start repenting, not just about what you did in the past, because everyone knows that this sort of vengeful retaliation is wrong, but you also start acknowledging and repenting in some senses about the future. You start saying, Lord, have mercy. I'm going to do this again if I'm provoked again. This is relatively minor. Lord, imagine if I'm really provoked. And imagine if I was actually in the right. You know, I might cause a war, Lord. Have mercy. Who have I become? And you let God's word dwell in you richly so that it transforms how you see this world altogether. 
And it, it reshapes altogether your hope about the future. You realize, I am not the person I think I am. I think way too highly of myself. And yet our Lord loves me even more than I can ever understand. His kindness towards me extends far more than I ever realized. You find yourself repenting about your past, but also potentially repenting about the future, saying, Lord, I see where this is headed, and it is not good. Have mercy on me. You see, there's a way to read the word of Christ, which results in you just repenting about your past, or read it as law. And there's some benefit to that. But to let the word, to abide in this word, to abide in his love, to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, to obey his commands this way, is to become a type of people who say, I am without hope unless I, as a branch, can somehow suck some nutrients out of the vine. I'm going to wither away and die. I've got to find my life in the vine. I've got to find my ways of moving forward, be transformed by the work of the vine. This is, this is how we abide in Christ. This is how we abide in his word. We don't just read the Bible and say, what did I do wrong? I'm sorry. We read the Bible and see how us, see the way that God sees us, which for some of you is much greater than, than your self-image will ever allow you to um, admit. For some of you, the way God sees us is, is, is far more rebellious, far more uh, sinful than you could, you could dream. But he also loves us in a mysterious way that we can't fully understand. And it's a love that's relentless and it's constantly pursuing. And it's this abiding that will transform and change you. This is how we abide. I didn't mean to go that long. I got passionate. But we also abide not just by what we do, but by something that's done to us. And it's this part of the verse that in some senses terrified me as I listened to it, all, as I read it all week. Because what does the vine dresser do? God the Father. What does he do to everyone who's a true believer, no exception, full stop? What will happen to you? You will be pruned. I don't know if you've ever been to a vineyard after pruning. I have one time. And you couldn't convince me that the person who was cutting everything knew what they were doing. It looked like after you go to a haircut, there's just vines, or there's branches everywhere. And not only are there branches, there's grapes, good grapes on the ground. You know why the vine dresser has to cut them out? Because the bunches are getting too heavy, too early. They're going to pull the branch down and rip it off the vine. So the, the vine dresser has to come and cut sometimes even good fruit off of the vine, off of the branch, sorry, so that the vine can stay strongly connected to the branch. There is no exception. I don't know how to say this quickly, and so I won't. The vine dresser comes and attacks each and every branch, branches that look healthy, that look filled with life. The vine dresser sees something that the branch doesn't know and cuts out sometimes good growth. This for the sake of a stronger bond to the vine, to produce better and greater fruit. To the average eye who knows nothing about vine dressing, the vine dresser looks merciless. To the average eye, it looks as though there is blood, <laughs> there is pain on the ground, life has been wasted on the ground. Not to the person who has a good eye, not to the vine dresser who knows what he or she is doing. He knows, she knows, the only way to bring tremendous productivity. To the, to the branch is to attack, to attack that which is not sustainable. Listen, this is exactly what coaches do to athletes. You want to get stronger? Come to me. I'm going to break down your muscles, right? A coach says this. I, I'm going to, we're going to run one more lap. We're going to play one more game. <laughs> what are you doing? You're making me weaker. You're ruining me. You're making it harder. Aha, yes, but in the end, you'll be stronger. This is exactly what Jesus is saying in this metaphor. 
Listen, friends, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, I can't hide it from you. Our Father will prune you. Some of you are being pruned right now. And you look down on the ground and you say, why would he cut that out of my life? Why would he cut out that bunch of grapes? That was good fruit. Listen, in a city like ours, some of you are so incredibly talented. You're so incredibly gifted. And what ends up happening is, through your gifts, you're able to bear what looks like good and healthy fruit. But very often, your giftedness way outstretches your virtue, and our Lord knows it. And he knows if he lets that bunch of grapes, which looks like good fruit, continue to grow, you lack the strong and severed bond with the vine. He knows over time the weight of that fruit is going to detach you from the vine. And so what does he do? He takes the thing that is so dear to you, which looks like good fruit, and he cuts it right out. He will not let your gifting outstrip your virtue. He will not let your gifting pull you away from that vine. And that's what he's doing to some of you right now. He's going to do it to some of you. I assure you. Hear me closely. There is nothing that you lost that at the end of time would have been considered gain. I assure you. I assure you we just lack perspective. There is nothing cut out now that on the last day would have been considered gain. I promise you this. And I also promise you one other thing. Never is the vine, dresser, vine dresser's hand closer, his mind more focused on you than when he's pruning. And this is a paradox that we'll all understand. It's going to be at that darkest time of suffering, at the time of greatest pain. It's then you're going to feel the gentle hand of the vine dresser separating out leaf, making his strategic cut. And you're going to know that he's near. This is the fuel, the fuel that strengthens this bond. Let me conclude by reflecting on the fruit. What is the vine dresser looking for? Listen, who plants a blueberry bush hoping to get jalapenos, you know? Who plants a, a, a you know, who plants, who plants, what other type of things do we plant, you know? <laughs> who plants green peppers hoping for blueberries? You plant a blueberry bush because you want blueberries. You plant a jalapeno bush plant because you want jalapenos. You want to use them. The whole point of the plant is not that it looks beautiful, although some people might feel that way. The goal of the plant is that life would be communicated to you, sustain you through the fruit of this particular plant. What is the Father looking for? He's looking for that life-giving fruit. Our Father loves to drink good wine. <laughs> he loves that old-aged <laughs> wine. He's looking for grapes to come off the branch that he's going to smash and squash and he will ferment. He wants the choices of wine waiting for him. There's a fruit he's looking for, but what is this fruit? Well, the Bible is relatively clear. I mean, in verse 11, we see that it includes the joy of Christ coming to you. But I think we'd have to say this in Jesus' what Jesus is speaking of here is what Paul will call the fruit of the Spirit, love the love of Christ, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What does God want? The fruit he's looking for is the very character of Jesus Christ, the one who was sent from heaven to take on life in this world, the character of him coming inside of you and then budding and bearing fruit outside of you. This is what our Lord wants. This is what he will make his choices of wine out of, you bearing the fruit of the Spirit even at times through pruning. This is what our Father is looking for. And let me end by asking this question. This passage tells us something that's very dangerous. It says there is no way to be a true Christian 
without bearing some fruit. And the reason this is dangerous is because the Christian life does include seasons of winter where it feels as though there's no growth. And also the reason this is dangerous is because some of you will begin to look at a moment in your life where you are convinced is fruit and all of your assurance, all of your confidence will move from Jesus Christ to that moment in your life where you feel like you were maturing, you were growing. This will pull you away from the vine. That's why this is dangerous and must be thought of carefully. There are seasons of winter. Sometimes there are seasons of long winter. But this passage is telling us that if you are a true believer, if you have this interpenetrating relationship with the vine as a branch, you will bear fruit. You know why? Because our Father will prune you. He will make sure you bear fruit. The way to maximize the fruit, to bear more fruit, is to abide in his love, abide in his word, abide in his commands. But this passage is asking, have you exhibited that heavenly life now? And if not, what are you going to do to abide in that vine? Who are you going to talk to about it? How are you going to address it? This passage gives us a big warning that the Lord will not be mocked or deceived. Those who have a superficial, not real bond to the vine, eventually they'll be cut out. They'll be removed from the garden because they're not bearing fruit. They're, they're a waste of time to the vine dresser. They're a waste of his attention and energy. They'll be immediately cut out. Are you bearing fruit? Now, in conclusion, not long after Jesus teaches us this, he'll be arrested. He'll be beaten mercilessly. He'll be crucified. His body will sort of intertwine on a trellis-like device on a cross. And he will be cut back by the vine dresser, even cut off. But unlike any vine before, he'll be buried like a seed in the ground. And three days later, what appears as though a death and a disappearance is going to result in the birthing forth of a resurrected true vine. A vine that is going to grow until it's sustained, still it wraps around the whole entire earth. A vine that will continue to give life and nourishment on the ground to its branches throughout all of eternity. Jesus is indeed the new vine. He was crushed on the cross and at his resurrection. He now, by his Spirit, has come to give to you this life from heaven. The only question to you now is will you reach out to, will you trust, will you grab hold of, will you believe that your only hope of salvation is in and through Jesus? And in and through Jesus, the life of heaven can come to you even today if you've never reached out, if you've never had this bond with him. Turn from your sins. Quit trying to be your own savior. Trust this true vine. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your intentions for us, though painful, will result in your glory and your celebration, but also in our own glory, in our own celebration. We will get to bear fruit. Father, this morning I pray for those who feel disconnected from the true vine who feel as though that connection is just a razor thin, that you would strengthen them by your word, and that you would make us a people who abide deeply in this, your word. For those that you are pruning, O oh Father, would you give them a glimpse of your love so that they can sustain the season of pruning? And Father, might we all bear fruit for Christ's sake. It's in his name we pray. 
Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.